we're going to begin a new series today uh, that sort of ties into what we talked about last, this idea of a refined mission statement and what it is that we're, uh, we as a church are called to do, this equipping people for kingdom release. Uh, and, and today we're going to do this, uh, begin a series that we're calling Family Values. And so really, these are, we're, we're going to take five weeks and unpack the core values of this church. Like, who, what, who do we believe we are and what are the things that we value? And I don't know how many of you, like, when you think about your childhood, you think about your upbringing, did you have things that your family definitely valued? As you think about it, there's these things, right? Like, some, some families, it's like, we are perfectionists. We will do things perfectly. Any, any perfectionist, and you grow up, and, and that was, you do things the right way every time. Or we are always on time. Anybody like that? That's not a vineyard value. It's, at least it's not one of the five. Uh, or or, or uh, we always tell the truth. We Heilmans always tell the truth. Or, or we always care for the outsider. Any of you grow up with that as a value? We always care for the outsider. You can tell some of you, some of you if you, uh, those of you who, you're in a conversation with people you know and you see somebody that's not in the conversation, you say, so tell me what, and you bring them in. Have you seen that? Some of you that don't have that as a value, you see it and it looks weird, right? But, but families have values, right? Like we have these, these values, these things that if you get nothing else as growing up in the family that you're in, you got these things. We are church people right? Like I grew up, we are church people. When the door is open, we are there, right? This is a value of my family. We are there, right? And so families have values, and we as a church family have values. If you get nothing else out of being part of the vineyard, one thing that you ought to get is this list of values that we're going to cover over the next five weeks. And today I want to talk about our first core value. Our first core value is worship, that, that our primary, the very first one that we say, this is the value, is worship. That if you get nothing else out of being part of the vineyard, our hope is that you get worship. That worship is something that, would, that you would say, you know what? I didn't know much else about the vineyard, but man, did I get worship. That that was something that we valued. And so I want to talk about that today. And, and it's a, when it comes to like, sermons, I've said this to some of you, I, I much prefer to take one passage, break it down, and pull out what the, what the passage says. But here's the thing about a value like worship, is it's a comprehensive biblical idea. And so I feel a little bit unmoored, just my own personal confession, I feel a little bit unmoored from like a passage where I'm going to follow it line by line. Because at some level, I'm ex like expounding on this idea that the Bible talks about, like cover to cover, if you read this book, the whole thing is about worship, that that's what you as a human being were designed to do. And so just for my own soul, can we read some scripture? Is that okay with you? Can, can we read a passage of scripture just because, man, it ain't pre preaching if we ain't reading it out of the Bible, right? Right? You agree? So we're going to, I'm just going to read sort of to set, set the, uh, the idea here of, uh, out of Psalm 96, and you can follow along. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. 
Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day, declaring His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and glory are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do His name, bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness, tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns, the world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Let's just pray. God, I I pray, Lord, as we look at this idea of worship, Lord, that we would be people who ascribe to You the worth that You have. God, that we would be people who, who are marked by appropriate orientation toward you. So God, as we talk about this topic of worship and, and we just expand what it is that you, uh, God, want us to be, I pray, Lord, that you would be present. That somehow, even as preaching, it would be an act of worship, God. Come, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Now... Before we get too far, so this will feel a little less like a preach and a little bit more like a teach, okay? That's why all, those, all the classes that you, you, you know, the classes that you take, it's preaching and teaching. Sometimes it's preaching, sometimes it's teaching, kind of has some very similar stuff. Uh, but before we get too far, I think it would be wise for us to clarify what we mean when we use this word worship. What are we talking about when we talk about worship? Now, for some of us, you think about what we just did here, right? You have a horrible guitar player, a, right? This is what you think of. You think of the, the music. For some of you, if you come from maybe a more uh, liturgical uh, setting, a little bit more, the whole gathering, this whole Sunday morning experience is worship. I grew up in a Lutheran church, and from beginning to end, we are at worship. We are, this is worship service. Music and everything else is worship. But I think it's helpful for us to understand what do we mean by worship? What are we talking about when we say worship? Well, I think most of us are aware that the Bible was not, this book is not originally written in English. Those of you who have the English versions of this, it's not the original. It was written in another language, Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit of Aramaic. So this word worship is not in the original book. It's a translation. And so the, the word worship actually comes from an old English word meaning worthship. That worship is ascribing worth to something. That what we mean when we say worship is we are ascribing ultimate worth to something. We worship things that have value, we worship things that have worth. And when we worship, we ascribe ultimate worth to something. If you understand this, What you probably then understand just by extension is that everyone in the world worships. 
Everyone in this room worships. Everyone outside of this room worships. There's not a person alive who doesn't worship. Because we all, at some level, ascribe ultimate worth to something, right? You know people like this. I mean, maybe we ascribe ultimate worth to God, but maybe we ascribe ultimate worth to other things. I mean, some people, you know, we worship ourselves. Some of us just worship ourselves, right? Like, anything I want, I'm going to get. Give me all of your bacon and eggs. That poster's coming, right? That poster's going to be in my office. (laughs) Whatever we want, we get it. Want more food? Go get it. Want more sex? Go get it. Want more things? Go get it. You want that car? Go get it. The only thing that you, the, the only goal is to make me happy, right? This is what it is to worship me, myself, I. Some people worship money, and so whatever it takes to get more money, that's what we're after, right? Whoever we have to step on to get more money, we step on them. Whatever it takes, and the only goal in life is to get more money. Some people worship power, and you know where that goes, right? I'm struggling to not be bad, okay? Moving right along. Some people worship self-image, right? You know, like, I stand in front of the mirror, and I just don't, I mean, my body never, it just never works. It just <laughs> never works, right? But, like, I'm worshiping health or, or my own uh, popularity, maybe. The choice is not whether or not you worship. The choice is, what do you worship? Everyone ascribes ultimate worth to something. The only choice you get is, what do you ascribe ultimate worth to? And so let me ask you, what do you worship? What do you ascribe ultimate worth to? And before you just jump right to the end and go, oh, I know, I worship God, right? Think about it. Think about it. You guys know who Calvin was? A reformer? Calvin said that the human heart is a factory of idols. That every last one of us is capable of worshiping other things. And in fact, we do it pretty regularly, don't we? If you come to my office, you see that I have at times in my life worshipped books. I have stacks and stacks of books and lots of them have not yet been read. Right? If you want a tip on how to figure out what you worship, take a look at where you spend your time, your energy, and your money. You want to know what you worship? Take a look at your calendar. Take a survey of the last week and what you do with your time. Where do you spend your energy? When you have a little bit of extra time or energy, where do you spend it? Maybe we worship our spouse. That happens a lot of times. Maybe we worship our kids. Another way is take a look at your checkbook. Where does your money go? When you have extra money, where does it go? Some of us worship McDonald's drive-thru. That's where our money goes. Sometimes that's where my money goes. But take a look at your time, energy, and money, and you'll probably find what you're worshiping. We believe in this church that the only thing worth worshiping is creator God as is revealed in the Bible. The God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. He's the only object worth worshiping that doesn't end up wrecking your life. You're like, what do you mean? Everything else at the end becomes a taskmaster, a tyrant. Everything else at the end will wreck your life if you worship it ultimately. 
I mean, think about it for just a minute. If you worship money, you will never have enough money. There will always be more money for you to get. If you worship yourself, there's always more stuff, right? You ever watch a show, Hoarders? It's like a nervous chuckle. It's like, my house? (laughs) Right? There's always more stuff to get. Or if you worship power, there will always be someone more powerful to pursue, to take down. If you worship self-image, there will always be somebody more attractive, healthier, more fit. It'll always be the case, and you will end up as a slave to these things that are never satisfied. At Vineyard Altoona, our first family value is we ascribe worth to God. Our desire is that at at our core, we would be worshipers of God, that we would be extravagant worshipers of God, and we would equip each other to be worshipers of God. It's not enough for us just to be worshipers ourselves, but that we would also equip other people to do the same. So how do we do this? And this is where this gets very academic, and I'm going to try to not make it so academic. If you do a word study through the Bible, and you find everywhere in the Bible where it uses the word in your English book that says worship, what you will discover is that there are a whole bunch of words that gets, get translated. So in Scripture, worship is a much more multifaceted idea than it is in English. So there's all kinds of things, and, and I'm not going to take you on that tour today, but if you're really curious, if you're really curious, if you have a really good commentary, I'm not talking the one that's like two pages in the back of here, I'm talking like a really good commentary, If you just search the word worship and find everywhere in Scripture where that word appears, you will find that there's a whole bunch of Hebrew and Greek words behind it, different words. And what you'll find is that when you do the study, there are a few words that show up quite frequently and that convey what the biblical writers are trying to convey when we're saying worship. What do we mean by worship? Biblical worship of God essentially has two parts. You can take all of these words and you can sort of go, well, these have to do with one part. These have to do with another part that somehow make up two sides of the whole. And if both of these are required, if we want to be people who worship God appropriately, and I would assume that because you're sitting here, you want to worship God appropriately. Anybody not want to worship God appropriately and is brave enough to put your hand up? Okay, good. Just making making sure... The first is there's a component of worship that's directed toward God. It's what we do here, right? Like some of the words for worship involve meanings like pay homage, pay honor, show reverence, kneel down before, prostrate. Do you know what that means? Lay flat on the floor. That there's this this idea in Scripture that your body gets used in worship, that there are postures that are appropriate. So, for example, Psalm 5, 7 says, But I, by your great love, can come into your house in reverence. I bow down. Bow down. It's the same word it gets used worship elsewhere. Bow down towards your holy temple. Psalm 22, 7 says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down. Makes me think of a song, Bow Down Before Him. 
for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. That there's a, an appropriate posture that we take before the king. If we are going to worship the king of all things, there is an appropriate body posture for that. That it's not something we just assent to in our heads and say, I'm worshiping. See? I'm mumbling through a song and I'm worshiping. Or I'm just reading the words and I'm worshiping. There's a body posture that is involved in worshiping God. There's a sense in which worship requires an appropriate posture. If you think about walking into the presence of a king, what posture would you take? If God himself sat down right here during our worship, what posture would you take? There's a posture involved. This is what we do when we come to this place intent on meeting with God. When we worship here, we come intending to meet with God. We take a posture toward God. We ascribe directly to God His worth. So the, the first component is what we do toward God, right? There's something about this posture of surrender that's wholly appropriate. Like if you walk into the presence of God Himself, I give, I surrender. You can have me, you can have all of me and you can do whatever you want. It's, I belong to you. Now, some of you would say, like, you, you came here, like, on purpose to worship, right? Most of, all of you, you came here to worship. And so some of this happens just in showing up. Some of worshiping God happens in just showing up. Because you could be somewhere else, couldn't you? you some of you are like, I know. <laughs> You're right. I got out of bed for this. Right? We could be somewhere else. You could be any number of places. And so some of ascribing worth to God comes from just showing up. Saying, God, you are worthy of me not going here and instead I'm coming here. Part of this happens though in the words we sing. The words that we sing. Last week, we had a retreat day with the, the worship team, and, and we just talked a little bit about uh, how important it is for the worship leaders to belong to one another, and not just to belong to, like, to one another worship team, but like that worship leaders would belong to you, and you would belong to worship leaders, and here's why. Here's why this is so important, because when we pick songs, it should not, our posture should not be one of, I really like this song. Man, it's really hitting all over the place. It's in the C CCLI Top 100, so we're going to totally play. It's on Christian radio. This is killer. What should happen is, whenever worship leaders pick songs, we should go, what do we collectively need to sing to God? What would make our posture appropriate before the king? What are the things that we need to sing to God? When we sing our worship songs, we sing them to God. It's not bad or wrong to sing about God. But we have come into the presence to ascribe worth to God. We sing to God. And if we do it appropriately, our posture should be appropriate. There's not one of us who, if we actually had the experience of seeing God face to face, would stay standing. I mean, think about it for just a minute. If the God of the universe showed up right in front of you, what would be your response? Would you stand toe-to-to? -to -toe? I mean, some of you heard me tell this story. Summer, we were in uh, Dayton uh, for the national conference, and 
we were singing a song, and it might have been like the king of my heart or something. It's fairly upbeat, you know, it's like, and so I'm clo- I got my eyes closed, and I'm not, you know, I got my hands up, and I'm singing, and my eyes closed, and I became aware in my mind's eye of being in the presence of God's throne, in the presence, and suddenly I was like, I am entirely too high to be right here right now. And in a very short order, I found myself horizontal in the aisle. And I don't really like that stuff, like when people end up like, <laughs> I'm sure, I think Tyler was sitting next to me, I was probably like right behind his legs, it was really uncomfortable. But that's the appropriate, I was, it was like, I cannot stand in the presence of God. When we worship, what posture do we take? Do, are we ones that just sort of like, yeah, I sing with my hands in my pockets. Sort of, maybe I don't sing, I just sort of like read the words. Are we sold out? Like, what would you do if you were in the presence of God? One of the things that is abundantly clear in Scripture is that every time people come into the presence of God and they have an encounter with God, they're struck with fear. Like, one of the words that, that gets translated as worship is fear. Like, Not just reverence, terror, fear. I am in the presence of something so great. How would I ever, like, how would I uh, try to offend by standing? Like, there's just a striking posture that comes with it. And here's what's really happening when you take the appropriate posture in worship. And I mentioned this already a little bit. What you're saying is, I'm orienting my relationship with God appropriately. I surrender. That's what this means, right? Cop shows up, puts a gun to your face, and you go, I surrender, right? That's the posture we take. God, I surrender. I surrender to you. You're so much greater than I am. You're all I've ever wanted. You're all I've ever needed. I surrender. Do with me whatever you choose. This is the first side of the coin of worship. It's the worship that we direct to God. But there's a second side of that coin. The second component is that we direct our worship toward the world. That if you read through Scripture, there's a whole other section of words that gets translated as worship that really is serve, do, make, create, build. There's an essence of worship that involves serving on behalf of God in the world. That it's tied to our identity as priests. If you read, we can talk about that later. First Peter. That there's part of it that's tied to that. There's an, a sense in which worship requires appropriate orientation toward the world on behalf of the God that we worship. And here's the thing. It's not complete if we don't do this. After we've taken the appropriate posture in God's presence, we go into the world and live that submitted life. That says, God, I told you you can have anything of me and I'll do whatever you want when I was standing singing. And now I mean it. The world. We surrender to the king and now we live in the world under his direction. We live our lives in response to the spirit of God. We care for the hungry, the orphan, the immigrant, the widow. We pray for the sick. We share the gospel. We live with this whole kingdom release thing that we just spent five weeks talking about. That's what we do. 
It's the other side of the coin of worship. All those things we talked about, where you live, where you work. And here's the real key. If you fail to do this, if we fail to live it out in the world, in the surrendered posture, if we don't uphold that side, whatever we did in here is meaningless. It is as if we have said, God, we can, you can have all of me, but I'll keep my fingers crossed. I'm still going to make the decisions. Yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want unless it kind of conflicts with what makes me comfortable. That if we don't live into that side of the coin, we have not completed the act of worship. That We've ascribed worth with our mouths, but our hearts are far from Him. We can have the most extravagant worship time in here on a Sunday morning. It can just be so, like the roof coming off the place. And I mean, even though that's actually happening in other parts of this building. I'm just like teetering. I'm teetering right on the, like, I'm just a little edgy. Just, just for a moment. Reel it in. But we can have people laying on the floor under the power of God, bawling their eyes out, surrendering wholeheartedly to God. And if we don't leave this room changed and living differently, it was all a show. It was all a show. Here's the, here's the kicker, though. Conversely, if we live a life that's surrendered out there, do you know what worship in here looks like? If you live the rest of your week completely surrendered to God, releasing the kingdom everywhere you go, showing up in places, praying for the sick, casting out demons, like caring for the hungry, if you care for the orphan and the widow and the immigrant and your heart is inclined towards God, do you know what musical worship looks like? Like your heart is already oriented in surrender. And so when I stand here and I take this posture, you want to talk about having like a worship time that will knock your socks off. There's nothing, nothing, nothing like being in a room, worshiping God, facing Him with our, all of our worship with a whole bunch of people who are committed to living their lives completely surrendered. Nothing like it. There's nothing like it. These are two sides of the same coin. In our Sunday worship times, we surrender. In our lives, we live out of that surrender. But here's the deal, you can't have just one. We can't be satisfied with great musical sets and, you know, exciting Sunday mornings, but living lives that are not postured the same way. And that's the challenge, right? 